0: We're all familiar with, I think any, any child, any Jewish child who went to Hebrew school and got any level of education, and even if they didn't, has heard of the 10 plagues. It's something that uh, captures everyone's imagination. There's been many uh, um, TV documentaries done on the 10 plagues. And um, is, there, is there something deeper to be learned? from the timing of the 10 plagues and of course we know that there's something to be learned from everything in the Torah and that's what we want to talk about tonight and zoom into as we always try to take a little piece of the Parsha and zoom into it and zoom into this aspect of understanding and uh, dissecting and appreciating what the the, the the details that we know about the timing of the 10 plagues and, and what what message there there may be for us. Um, this particular uh, talk that we're going to be uh, covering tonight from the Nebbe is from the uh, winter of 1986, and it's from Shabbat Vaera in uh, in that year. Um, a little reminder refresher for us of the context of the Ten place Moshe God. Uh, Perhaps Moses to be the, the, uh, the redeemer of the Jewish people and he sends Moses to go to tell Paro to, to let the people go and Moses refuses and Hashem, there's a back and forth and back and forth and at a certain point Hashem tells Moshe that he's going to harden Paro's heart and that is going to cause Paro to resist letting the Jewish people go. And there's a whole discussion, which is not for tonight, not for these few minutes that we have, about understanding whether Paro had free will or not, and understanding the different stages of of everything that went on there between Moses and Paro and Aaron, back and forth. And um, at a certain point, Moshe goes and he speaks to Paro and he says we were going to go in the in the desert for 3 days and we're going to serve our god and Paro uh, misunderstands Moses to think that the Jewish people are what they what's bothering them really is that they're lazy that they don't want to be building these these pyramids and these buildings and these structures for, for Paro so Paro goes and tells the Jewish Paro tells the Jewish people that from now on you're going to have to also collect the straw that you're using to create those bricks that they were building, and so Moshe goes back to God and says, "I failed, and not only I didn't make anything better, I actually made matters worse. Now the Jewish people, it's it's even harder for them." And God tells Moshe, "Let's take a look at the source." What Hashem tells Moshe, "Um, I, I see that I I need to um." Just one second. I'm going to need to, uh, I'm not the host, so I need to log in and uh, claim the host so I can share my screen. I'm sorry about that. Give me one second. I'm going to log out and log back in so I'll be able to um, reclaim my host uh, so I can share the screen with you. I'm so sorry about this. One second. Okay, I'm back here, and now I can share my screen. Okay, so let's take a look at the text as we always do. All right, the Lord said to Moshe, "See, I have made you. See, I have made you a lord over over Paro and Aaron, your brother, will be your speaker. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Paro that he sent the children of Israel out of his land." but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will increase my signs and and my wonders in the land of Egypt. What does Rashi say? Since Pharaoh behaved wickedly and defied me, this is on another verse, and I know that the nations find no spiritual satisfaction by making a wholehearted attempt to repent. It is better for me that his heart be hardened so that I can increase my signs And my wonders in him. And you will recognize. And you will recognize my mighty needs. This is God's mode of conduct. He brings retribution on the nations. So that Israel should hear and fear. As it is said I have cut off nations. Their towers have become desolate. I said surely you will fear me. You will accept reproof. A period of seven days passed. After the Lord had smitten the Nile. Okay so fast forward. This is after. The uh, the the um the plague of blood, and the Lord said to Moses, "Come to Pharaoh and say to him." So said the Lord, "Let my people go, so that they may serve me. But if you refuse, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your entire land with frogs." And here, the following is the key point that I want to to uh, talk about. Rashi says literally seven days were filled. Since the word Vayimali is singular, Rashi explains the number of seven days that the Nile did not return to its original state was filled, for the plague would be in effect for a quarter of a month, and for three quarters of the month, Moses would exhort and warn them. Okay, a quarter of a month essentially is a week. So here's what would happen. For three weeks, Moses would warn Paro. And talk to him and try to convince him to let the Jewish people go. That wouldn't work. Then would it be seven days of a plague? And then another three weeks? And then the next plague? And this is a little fine-tuned detail that people don't necessarily always pay attention to about how the plagues happen. And the question is, why did each plague need to take a week and need to leave seven and need to leave three weeks in between each play. What is the significance of that? What was the purpose of that? We find that the final play did not last as long. It actually lasted one moment. The last play, once right? there was the back and forth. Let them let the Jews people go. I won't let them go back and forth. Ultimately, when pyro was was stubborn and he didn't let the Jewish people go, how long did it take for the firstborn to be killed? One moment, in one moment they were all what they were all killed. So we see that had God wanted, God could have God could have done the plague in one moment. So what is the point? and what is the significance of of, of of stretching out and schlepping out the plague to last for an entire week? The question is a question in and of itself, but how much more so when you think of the fact, then as a result of each plague schlepping out for a week, and then having three weeks in between each plague, what results? It's true that the plagues are happening, but the Jewish people are suffering, and they're still in Egypt. And the Jewish people are schlepping their exile. Their ex- their, their, their exile is continuing a whole other winter because of this. Versus if the whole story could have happened, let's say, in the period of two weeks. Back and forth, one day to Paro, one day the plague, one day got back to Paro. You know, imagine for yourself: ten days, twenty days, whatever it is. So, what is the message here? What is the idea here? Why, if we can, if we can try to explore this idea, what's the what is the significance of these plagues schlepping out and dragging out for so long? So, we'll take a look at the Rebbe's words here. To explain the matter, the five-year-old beginner student understands that each of the plagues must have had a specific impact on Pharaoh. While Pharaoh refused to release the Jewish people even after being struck in with a number of plagues, it is nevertheless clear that each one of the plagues had some form of impact on him. And as we'll see in a moment, not just an impact on Pharaoh, but also an impact on the rest of the Egyptians as well. So let's now take a look. We're not going to go through each one of the plagues, but we're going to go, we're going to take one example. We'll start with blood and then we'll go to another, 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 another plague. Let's talk about blood. While this with the staff I am holding, I will smite the water of the Nile and it will turn to blood. Rashi, there is no rainfall in Egypt. And the Nile ascends and waters the land. The Egyptians, therefore, worshipped the Nile as a deity. God, therefore, smote their deity, and afterwards he smote them. And here comes a fascinating detail in the plague of blood that not everyone knows. The Midrash tells us, Rabbi Alvin, the Levite son of Rabbi, said, The Israelites got rich from the plague of blood. How so? When an Israelite and an Egyptian were living in one house and a barrel was full of water, the Egyptian would go to fill the jug from it, and it would be filled with blood. The Israelite would drink water from the barrel, and the Egyptian would say, Give me a little water. And he would give him. But it turned into blood. He would say, You and I both drink from the same barrel. The Israelite would drink water, and the Egyptian would drink blood. But when the Egyptian would purchase the water from an Israelite with money, he would be able to drink water. From here, the Israelites became rich. Let's continue. The deep effect this had on the Egyptians is clear. The Jews were the Egyptian slaves and were forced to do back-breaking labor. Now, the Egyptian needed, needs to take his own money and give it to a Jew in order to quench his thirst. This had an effect on the Egyptian magicians as well because they too were thirsty. Conversely, this showed the Jews their own greatness. Even when an Egyptian wanted to drink out of the same vessel as a Jew, the Egyptians' water would turn into blood while the Jew drank good water. Only when the Egyptian paid for the water was he able to drink it. The effect was so great that the Jewish people became wealthy as a result. Let's look at the frogs. Right? So, what's the, what's the, what's the, before we talk about the frogs, so what is the impact of the plague of blood? It's not just uh, uh, turning water into blood it's destroying the belief in the egyptian god because we're taking their god which is the nile and destroying that it's breaking the pride of the egyptians because they now need to right they, they need to they need to uh, they need to come to the jews they need they need the jews for their source of life for their water and it's raising the prestige of the jews now, can you accomplish that effectively with a, with a, just a quick, quick touch-and-go, hit-and-run of turning the water into blood? It definitely would not be as impactful. But when you experience this idea for not one day, two days, three days, but all week, it's able to have that impact. Let's take a look at the plague of frogs. Aaron stretched forth his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the Rebbe says, the plague of frogs went even further than the plague of blood. Here, the plague arose from their false god, the Nile itself. Because this is so obvious, Rashi didn't need to spell it out in his commentary. Let's forward, fast forward to hail. Right? What is hail? We remember the hail was this heavenly... Hail that was fire on the inside and ice on the outside. And it destroyed the land of Egypt. It destroyed the agriculture. It killed people and animals. Also made a lot of noise when it was falling. Let's take a look at the verse. God said, at this time tomorrow, I am going to rain down a very heavy hail. The likes of which has never been in Egypt from the day of its founding until now, from the day of its founding until now, go now and gather in your livestock and all that you have in the field, because any man or beast that is found in the field and not brought into the house will be struck by the hail and they will die. Uh, He of Pharaoh's servants who feared the word of the Lord drove his servants and his livestock into the houses. And that last verse is key, telling us that those that feared God actually took action even before the plague of hail there were some egyptians who were god-fearing but this didn't have any practical expression says the rebbe the plague of hail motivated the god-fearing egyptians to express their belief in a practical action rushing to shelter their livestock this provides us with a simple explanation of why the plagues needed to come separately with a pause in between each one. Stretching them out allowed the Egyptians time to consider the effect of the plague and draw conclusions from it. Had each plague occurred quickly, and without a pause between the plagues, the Egyptians wouldn't have had enough time to contemplate the meaning of the plagues, and thus the plagues wouldn't have had the desired effect. And then, to conclude, the ever, Shears a beautiful takeaway explanation for us in our interactions that we have with people. And uh, we have to remember that all of us are influencers of some sort. A wise man once said that every time two people are interacting, they, there's, a, there's influence happening. The question is us: who is influencing who? So... All of us have our, our our influencers on some level. I'm not even getting into the 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 abilities to be an influencer today in social media. But even without social media, every time we're interacting, if you have coworkers, if you have uh, if you have um, you know uh, employees, if you have if if it's a parent that's trying to influence their child, if it's someone who's trying to influence their spouse to be more neat to, to be more uh, uh, you know not so glued to their phone whatever it is we're all we're all we're all influencing and sometimes it can be off-putting when you're trying to influence someone and it's you feel like you're not getting anywhere so here the rabbi leaves us with an important reminder of of influence and the nature of influence There is a lesson we can derive from here regarding our divine service. When we we are working to spread Judaism and further the teachings of Chassidut, we can sometimes feel that our attempts to influence a fellow Jew were unsuccessful. Our analysis of the schedule of the plagues and their impact on Pharaoh teaches us a lesson in this regard. Pharaoh was stricken with a series of plagues and they seemingly had no effect on him because he didn't fulfill God's command to release the Jewish people. Moreover. He continued claiming, My river is my own and I made myself. Nevertheless, the truth is that each plague had a certain effect on him, as discussed. This is true even about a person like Pharaoh and even in the pre-Sinai era when there was a divine decree that the physical and spiritual cannot mix. It is thus all the more true regarding Jews in the post-Sinai era that every single action to advance Torah and Mitzvot has some practical effect. Simply put, When we speak in a friendly and sincere manner to a fellow Jew about matters of Torah, mitzvot, ethics, and fear of heaven, it is impossible that these words should have no effect. These aren't our personal words, they are words of Torah. Even if we don't see the effect immediately, we shouldn't be fooled by appearances. We should know that it is certain that there was some effect, but it just sometimes requires time for contemplation until it is expressed in a revealed manner. Regarding the argument that we don't see the effect, the answer is that we are looking with physical eyes. If we raise ourselves up a little, we will see the inner dimension of our fellow Jew and observe that it really had an effect, and the effect will continue to grow until it will be apparent to all. So I think that the Rebbe's words speak for themselves, and uh, hopefully this was uh, insightful and uh we gained something from the few minutes that we spent together tonight was it was we thank you rabbi thank you rabbi you're very welcome have a good night have a good night have a good night take care thank you